Hey everybody, Sarah here. We are testing out a new ad reader today, so let me know what you think of him or anything else you think about the podcast or would like to hear us talk about by emailing us at ifwewereriding at gmail.com. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast, get 20% off with the code RIDING at Askkicker Inc. Inc. with a K. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. Kelly, I hear you're trading so much now that you're actually tired. Yeah, I almost threw up in the pool today. I had to like hold it back. So what puking already? Why are you puking already? It was hard. I wasn't going to not make the interval, Sarah, like an idiot. (laughs) See, people, this is what makes a champion. I'm calling it right here. But you're not trading. What have you been up to? Well, I have spent more time than I would like to admit on the back end of the website. But the outcome is good. I have improved the ifwewerewriting.com website. So (laughs) a small plug. Anybody who wants to go there and check out our new site, ifwewerewriting.com, you can sign up for our website there or for our website, uh, for Kelly's newsletter that she writes every week. Um, And you can also see our nice sponsor graphics and all the past episodes of the podcast. So it's pretty fun. You should probably go check it out like right now, immediately. Yeah, after listening to us, of course. (laughs) Um, Other news happened this week, though. I mean, I guess this isn't totally news since we were all expected it to be coming. But Iron Man did finally announce like the rest of the pro calendar for the year. They announced that whole change with the slots being awarded in 2019 differently, which we obviously have talked about extensively. Yeah, we talked about it on the fourth episode, which was called Bitchy on a Case by Case Basis. If anyone wants to go back and hear all about Iron Man's new qualification system for the pros. And now they've actually announced which races are going to have slots and how many It's interesting because which races they choose to be pro races is usually a little reflective of like their priorities, but also obviously like all kinds of other things. And they announced which ones are going to have those floating extra slots in the Kona qualification. And it's going to be Ironman Arizona and Ironman Western Australia will have two extra floating slots that will be awarded based on how many people of each gender sign up. So, okay, so there we go. So women, go to Ironman Arizona and Western Australia if you're a pro. Okay, so when you say that when they announce the pro calendar, it shows some of Ironman's priorities, like what do you mean and what did you see in this calendar? So some years in very recent previous years, like every China race was on the calendar because they clearly were trying to encourage people to go to China because they were really trying to expand in China. There was also a lot of South American races because that was like a big priority. This year, (laughs) 
I was like totally planning on doing a bunch of 70.3s in like December. I wanted to do Columbia. I was like, I'm just going to hit up the South American races. But instead, it's like Waco, Texas, Indian Wells, California, which are their new races. So they're trying to promote their new events. But there's like right. no Columbia. There's no like South America December racing, which is kind of like sad for me. Right. I don't want to go to Waco. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it's lovely. Understandable. Understandable. I think the silver lining in that comment that you just said is that they would name a pro race to try to promote that race, which sometimes we've questioned. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't admit that. Right. Yes. Admitting the pros are important would be too much for our man, but maybe we could assume that they're maybe thinking that the pros are a little important and they'll put pro races on the ones they want people to go to. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's all kinds of different, I'm sure they have whole meetings. I would love to be in one of those meetings. A fly on the be wall. Okay. So before the show, you were telling me about like a mini Twitter war about who would win a 400 meter pool swim. Yeah. So I think the contestants were, do you want to tell the contestants? Well, I guess, so I guess Andy Pot said he could beat josh amberger at a pool swim and josh went on twitter and was like time and place name it and then lucy charles said if you make it a 400 free i'm in so who do you think would win andy potts josh amberger lucy charles 400 free okay i might in- like i kind of want to go lucy charles of course the feminist in me i've i looked up we looked up before the show the uh kona times of these three people and interestingly josh amberger was the fastest with 4709 and then Lucy Charles just missed the women's record on, on Kona by five seconds. So the women's record is 48-43. And she went 48-48, heartbreakingly. And we talked to her about it, actually, after at the press conference. And she was actually kind of surprised she went that close to the record, even though before the race, she was telling us she thought she could get the record. So I'm thinking, watch out for next year. And then Andy Potts, though, went 49-01. So, wah, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Josh would, a 400 meter swim, Josh would probably win, probably, but it would be fun to see. I wish people actually did these things. There was like the whole Twitter debate for a long time about Usain Boulder Mo Farah, who would win a 600. It would be like good for the sports if people actually like went out and did it. I don't know. I, I would be hard pressed to think Lucy would beat Josh Amberger, but I think she would give him a run for his money. Like, I think it would be close and fun. I think she's down. She seems fun. Yeah, she's, she is fun. I can vouch for that. And do you know how much money she made last year? Ooh, Kelly, how much money did she make last year? (laughs) Well, okay, so we don't know how much exactly she made, but we know that in prize money, she earned $91,379. So 60,000 of which was from Kona. (laughs) Okay, so she was the sixth highest earner in the women of the prize money that they had on the list. What list was it, Kelly? Right. So I shared this in the newsletter. So you should all go and read the newsletter. The USA Triathlon prize money leader list is pretty updated for 2017. It's a little newer, a little searchable now. It's like kind of interesting. So you can sort it and kind of see who won what. It's fairly comprehensive. It doesn't seem to include all challenge races, for some reason. So it's not, you know, 100% comprehensive, but it does include a lot of things. So you can see how much prize money people earned and and make wild assumptions about their lifestyle. How much how much did you earn in your best year, Sarah? Is this like a sustainable career? Cuz that's what people ask me all the time. Oh man. Okay, that's a good question. So in my best year it was 
head and shoulders above all my other years because I had come second, third, or fourth in so many different Ironmans. And then I actually won two in one year. So that obviously takes you. And I won a championship race. So were you earning $90,000? Is that what you're saying? I think there was one year. It wasn't 90, but it might have been 70. So that's like, that's good for prize money. Yeah, that's good for prize money. That's not the only kind of money one earns in triathlon. Yes, that's true. You also have sponsorship money. Some people coach. But that was like, to be fair, though, that's not to say that I was making $70,000 every year. I had a lot of years of, you know, $10,000, $20,000 in prize money year in, year out. And I did have, I did have to supplement my income, not have to, I wanted to supplement my income with coaching. And I did also have a couple of small amount of cash income from sponsors. But I think that's kind of a lot harder to do now. Cash sponsorships. Yeah, I think that's pretty, though, I think it's safe to assume that any of the big, like why the prize money list is interesting is because it's like a good indicator. If you're making 200,000 in prize money, you probably are one of the people that's signing a cash sponsorship, right? Like Flora Duffy, who topped the prize Mm -hmm. money list at 297,000. She probably has Let's just assume she has another hundred at least in like cash sponsorships and then some more in appearance fees and, you know, like all clinic, like that kind of thing. She's easily making 400. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like more than that. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, that's true. How much do you think prize money accounts? Like, would you I said it was half, about half in the newsletter. I think it varies wildly, though, from like person to person. Yeah, I think it does, too. I've and even in my career, if I just use my own career as an example, I had years where prize money accounted for most of my income. And then if I was injured or something, I had years where prize money accounted for almost none of my income. And I was doing more coaching and just depended on the little bits I was getting from sponsors. So I think it depends person to person how good someone is at promoting themselves or whether they have a manager that's good. An interesting thing I pulled out was that our top two earners were both women, like Flora Duffy with her 297K and then Daniela Reef was the second highest earner with uh, 219K, which I thought was really interesting. Why do you think that is? Because they won the championship races and those had large prize purses. I mean, obviously, like you and I have talked about, there's like an argument out there that it's easier to make money as a woman because there's fewer of us. And so then it concentrates itself at the top. And you look at those two and you're like, oh, that's obviously true. But when you look at like the the 12 people that made over 100000 in prize money, half were men, half were women. Javier Gomez is the number three on the list this year. He was number one last year. He just didn't win the grand final or the 70.3 World Championships this year or he would have been back at 400 or whatever he was last year, right? Like, so, and Jan Ferdino only brought in 13,000 this year. And obviously that would have been different a lot of other years. It would have been off year. Yeah, an off off year year for Jan. Um, Um. So so I I think it's like one interesting that the women are like all up there and, you know, half of them or half of like the big earners. But then when you like, you look down all the way down to the people making 10,000, 5,000, and it's also equal down there. So... Mm It is. It is. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I did a little bit of a, you'll be shocked to learn. I did a bit of a gender analysis of this prize money breakdown. (laughs) Right? And so I I did a couple cutoffs. I did one at under 20K. I don't know why I chose 20K. But anyway, and it like there were 59, I guess there were 58 men who made over 20K and 61 women, which is about the same. And then another at cut again at 10k and there were 110 women who made above 10k and 116 men so I feel like at every level 
the prize money was being distributed fairly equally. And there, there were not just, not just that the men and women were making equal amounts at every level of the sport, but also that like the same women, like it's often been said, aren't taking the lion's share of the prize money with the exception of these two superheroes at the top with Flora and Daniela. Like after that, everyone's making a bit of money right the way down to in the 586 spot with the men and the 501 women. So even there, the absolute numbers aren't as far apart at the end of the day as we thought they were. So I think this is good news for our sport that we're so equally divided with the men and the women. I also think, I mean, and this is going to controversial. I'm going to say something controversial. I think the biggest names okay. are women right now. Yeah, Jan's big, Javier's big. But when I care, and this may be just my personal, like, because I don't really pay as much attention to the men but like the biggest people I care about are the women yeah it would have been a different story I think too if Jan Ferdino had won Kona again right then he would be the biggest star or at least comparable like obviously but instead yeah he would still own that title yeah and I think in future years we might see Lionel Sanders who's currently a number four you know he might be coming through Patrick Lange I mean Germany is a great place if you want to be an Iron Man superstar to get paid and to be famous. So I'm assuming they're all just like raking in the dough and like lying in piles of money. So I'm not sure that's strictly depends what you consider piles of money. <laughs> German money, lying in piles of German they, money. They don't, so. have to, they don't have to worry for food like the people like the people down in a hundredth place. So it's interesting. If you want to go and do your own perusing, it's in the news. The link is in the newsletter and you can kind of see some more info and, and breakdown because I thought it was interesting. It was interesting. And you know what? The other thing that was interesting is after we hung up last time and I wanted to bring this up again, you and I were talking about this story basically about and this is a sports story. Just bear with me about how American women die in childbirth more often than in other developed countries and African-American moms are three and a half times more likely to die in childbirth. And this recently came kind of a topic of conversation because of Serena Williams. So what's the story there? Yeah, I mean, U.S. women die in childbirth at stupid rates. Like, let's be clear. It's not just more frequently. It's three or four times more frequently than in European countries. They die at like the same rates as underdeveloped third world countries. And Serena Williams story is kind of I mean, it's not exactly highlighting the exact problems, but it's a little insane. So Serena Williams has a story, had blood clots for other because of other issues she had in the past because of her her sportsing because of her ten, like because of she has had blood clots in the past and she knows that she has to be on medication which she stopped taking when she had to get a C-section and so she knew that she was prone to them and she was telling doctors she was prone to having another pulmonary embolism she has had in the past and she was really short of breath and she said knew this was a symptom and she told them she needed a CT scan to see if there were blood clots in her lungs because she was short of breath and this had happened before and they like didn't listen to her they were like no no you're fine that's normal you're just complaining and then she like begged them and begged them and eventually they did the CT scan and turned out she had several blood clots in her lungs and she would have died. Wow. Which is insane. That is insane. And then it's brought to the fore this, the, these stats about American women dying. So let's talk about exactly about the why. Like, why would American women be dying in bigger rates? Right. Like the same rates as underdeveloped countries, right? So is it lack of medical care, like in low income areas? So there's certainly, you know, the obvious reasons have been put forward and certainly explained some of it, which is like the whole women are more obese and less healthy than they used to be. And that's why they're like more sickly and they have more complications. There's the argument that we're just noticing it more, capturing more of this data that we weren't recording it before 
war. That's, and those certainly account for some of the issues. Same with when you talk about the fact that so like American women die at a rate of 24 per 100,000 births, whereas the UK is set five per 100,000. Like, so it's a lot different. But then within that shocking statistic, like uh, for African-American women in the US die at three times the rate, mm-hmm. three and a half times the rate. Of, so they're just like, it's just, and then when you talk about that, there is a lot of the like, sure, some of it's low income. Some of it's these, the fact that there's segregation and there's hospitals that have been historically African-American that often have like higher rates of maternal mortality anyway, which is a problem. But then even when you look at like wealthy, healthy African-American women, they're still dying at higher rates than wealthy, healthy white women. And like Serena's story really illustrates this. And they're pretty sure like at least a large portion of it is inherent. Well, first racism, but also sexism, bias in the medical system that doesn't take women and particularly minority women's problems and concerns seriously. Hmm. There's like when they come in and there's so many stories like this and are like, I'm having a heart attack. No, no, I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure it's fine. Right. You're exaggerating. Right. So and one of the things that when I was reading up on this, the, the scariest thing is that the rate at which women are dying in childbirth is basically a reflection on how your society values women. And when I read that, I thought, huh, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, because obviously, like, you could decide this matters and, like, take steps. So, like, California, for example. Right. Like, California. Yeah. Decided they needed to, like, the U.S. is the only country, one of the very few, there's, like, 13 countries that has seen a rise in this maternal mortality in the last 15, 20 years. California was like, that's not good. And they went about studying the problem. They, like, recorded the data. And then they were like, oh, it's these few specific things that are happening. It's hemorrhaging, usually, or, like, preeclampsia post-birth. And then they, like, were like, what can we do to address the most common issues they developed like a crash cart for hemorrhaging and california's rate dropped back down to like normal european western countries seven per hundred thousand yeah like that's whereas when you compare that to states for example the one in like the story that really talks about this the research is texas because texas still and this may be not totally true because the story is a couple months old but still does not record if it was an actual death in childbirth so like there isn't actually like an official record like they don't track them right like as opposed to like just death right early death from complication death in hospital like they don't track them so if you don't even care enough to track a data point you certainly aren't going to be able to solve that problem right and if you aren't funding like women's health programs early on you're not going to catch the high risk birth which like pregnancies in the first place like all these things mm, so goddamn obvious it's annoying it's oh my god so annoying it's and scary and the answers are there because california has done it they've made things better they've reduced the risk for women so Technically, there's a silver lining there. We could all, it could be better yeah, for I all mean, of us. There's other, like North Carolina did a similar program for like African-American women reducing their like rate of death. And it's like one of these things that it's just like you have to care. And I think a lot of times we're just not really, and it's because it sounds like this thing like, oh yeah, of course, it's just childbirth. Like everyone goes through it. But guys, guys, the rate of death in marathons is like one to two per hundred thousand. The rate of death for having a kid in the U.S. is 24 per 100,000. You are almost 20 times more likely to die continuing the species than running a marathon. Do you know how terrifying that is? That is terrifying. It's terrifying. And so, you know, for all those people who are like, marathons, but what about my heart? (laughs) You know, they're like, but what about our kids (laughs) having moms? So, okay. So, So, I mean, I think these things are good to know. And again, kudos to Serena for telling her story. And this is the outcome 
is that now we're talking about these things, right? There you go. Yeah, she uh, did a big story in Vogue and was on the Today Show, which I think really helped bring this to the forefront. And I've been hearing part of the reason we talked about this last week off air is because I've been hearing more and more about this. So maybe people are paying attention. Awareness. Maybe. Awareness. There you go. Okay, so you're off to Bermuda tomorrow with the highest earner of 2017. Right. I'm going to go train with the biggest prize money winner of 2017. I mean, train is probably a strong word. I think we're like both going to be in the National Sports Center of Bermuda at the same time and like wave at each other. No, I'm doing a story about Florida for Triathlete Magazine and about Bermuda and it's going to be exciting as soon as I finish packing. Well, we will look forward to hearing about that next week. Yeah. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at AskKickerInc, Inc. with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, Crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton and our social media coordinator is Helen Positor. None of you people can tell me to stop This time, like the last time You better get ready to race to the top I'm ready to do this Show you what the truth is I step on the field, it's time to get real I'm feeling so ruthless Okay, so before we go I have an ass kicker of the week which is named after our sponsor, Ask Kicker Inc., which, by the way, makes amazing activewear for women with inspiring and motivational phrases on it, like many of the tank tops that you'll find me wearing on social media. I love them anyway. But my Ask Kicker of the Week is Kylie Stevens for telling it like it is and addressing her abuser, Larry Nasser directly at his sentencing. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, Kelly. In episode three, we did about the U.S. gymnastics has one of the worst kind of sexual abuse cases I've ever heard of. And there are actually 98 women that are coming forward to speak at his sentencing, which is insane. 98 women of 120, right? Something like that. You can hear more about it in our other episode. In our other episode three. But here is what Kylie says. This is her testimony from his sentencing hearing. I've been coming for you for a long time. You were first arrested on my charges. I testify to let the world know that you are a repulsive liar. Perhaps you've figured it out by now, but little girls don't stay little forever. They grow into strong women that return to destroy your world.